Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. episode of Windy City Storm Hockey Development Podcast and we have a round table and a fun one here for you guys here today. We have a Swede, a Canadian, a Masshole, and a nice Midwesterner in <laughs> myself. So how are we doing today? Well first we'll, first we'll uh, introduce the Swede because the Swede hasn't been on here. So we have our Director of Player Development and our Director of Skills, Carl Linden, for here in Windy City and also the Tri-City Storm in the USHL. Carl, yeah. what's up? How are we doing today? Good, good. I'm excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Pumped to have you, man. And uh, our, our resident Canuck, Robert Robbie Murden, second time on the pod. How are we doing? Excited to be back on the pod, Toph. Thanks for, for bringing me back on. Yep, round two. And then our mass hole, Ryan Ward. Wardo, what's up? Yeah, no, just uh, hope, hope all of our listeners here had a great holiday season. Happy New Year. I know we're excited to to kick off the new year with this podcast in the second half of our season. Also very excited that Robbie Murden decided to wash his hair last night, so <laughs> he doesn't look as greasy this morning. So, yeah, we're let's let's get her going here, Toph. Excited to be here. Well, first got to give Robbie a chance to get back at it. I mean, that was a little bit of a dig right there. I mean, Toph, please just put side-by-side photos of both myself and Ryan Ward on social after this and... Let viewers decide who's, who looks <laughs> greasier right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. So today we're going to talk about ozone principles, and uh, this is a lot of fun talking ozone. I mean, uh, it's it, it's funny because so many people, when they talk about hockey, like they want to talk about defense. You know, defense wins championships. Uh, defense is probably a little bit what some people would say easier to coach because it's a little bit more structured to what you do. Um but in terms of scoring goals, I guess the first question I have for you, and Carl, I'll start with you, uh, our resident Swede and skill development. Um, when it comes to the O zone, what do you think are a few principles that you think are really important in terms of wanting to, let's just make it a big, broad thing here, in terms of scoring goals? Well, um, in terms of the uh, goal and or scoring goal, I think – the whole um, reason you have sort of an offensive structure is to get to the inside, meaning, you know, get to the areas that that you really want to get to, but it's very hard to get to. Um, so <clears throat> starting off with that, right, um, to me, it's a lot of interchangeable parts that got to f- work together, but um, obviously, um, you know, being um, a sort of a defensive coach, I would say, um, that lets them play a more of a relaxed or relaxed, probably not a good word, but more of a, um, I guess, um, free-flowing sort of 
uh, structure in terms of jumping down and stuff like that. I think um, a lot of the own zone um, principles that I'd like to see is a lot of interchangeable parts. So define maybe what some of those interchangeable parts could be. Well, as simple as D jumping down and, and forward filling, filling spots. But um, to me, it's, it's kind of what, what I like to teach is having a defenseman walk all the way down to the, to the net, taking the puck all the way, way not down to the net, um, and then letting your teammates figure out where the other open areas are. Um, so that's sort of what I what I base it off of. But in terms of like changing sides or low to high or all any sort of the generic sort of offensive structures or principles that 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 sort of everyone is talking about, I think for me it's it's teaching the defenseman how to be able to almost walk or carry the puck all the way through down to the net, um, and that's sort of. From day one, it's, you know, a lot of work in terms of teaching them how to do it from the blue line. And then how you play, let's say, if you're lower in the offensive zone. But there's a lot of things that goes into that. But, yeah, that's sort of my my base of thinking of it. I like it. And what I'll go to you next. When you talk about defensemen um, finding ways to get D the puck, you know, obviously low to high, a lot of people talk about that with the way defenses and defensive zone structures are and trying to pressure down low where the open ice is up high. Um, what do you think are the best ways? I, I, sh- I shouldn't say the best ways, but like, you know, there's this school of thought of like D down the middle when the forward's bringing the puck up the wall or a scissor where the forward kind of comes off the defenseman's back. Um, how do you like to teach those things? Do you like one better than the other? Is it is it a read? Um, talk about just D jumping down to, to get pucks other than low to high. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's funny that we're talking about this today. I've been thinking about a lot of these principles um, over the past probably month and a half and just trying, for me personally, trying to get our U13 team to be more active in the offensive zone. And I think actually it goes back to a little bit of the podcast that we had um, a few weeks ago or about a month ago with the positionless hockey. Um, I, think, I think for me... Um, it starts with confidence, and, and like Carl said, building it takes a lot of work, but it starts with the confidence of, of puck support and and really filling filling spots, right? So, um, you know, for me, like we, we call the D drive through the middle, D drive, we call the scissor down the wall, D down. Um, but, but really what I've kind of evolved that thought process to, and I, I had a a great conversation um, with one of our players' dads, who who is a skills coach in Alberta, um, Kyle McLaughlin. There's a first name drop of the day. Tof. Underground hockey development. Underground hockey there development. You go. Yeah, give yeah. him a follow. Yep, give him a follow, Kyle McLaughlin. But I think um, for me, a lot of it is recognizing time and space and where to support the puck. Right. So, I think very early on in the process here, we build in certain triggers. Right. So, for instance, if our forward is is skating on first touch off of a cycle or what we call an auto low, um, you know, we we designate the hash marks as the trigger for the D to, to activate, right? So at the beginning of the year, we give them one option, right? You drive through the middle, the weak side D comes over and we support. Um, then we add in our, our D down the wall where the, you know, we try to grab space in the dot lane from the forward and the D comes down the wall. Um, 
But I think just building those principles and giving them structure at the beginning is a great, great tool to just have that structure to build confidence in reading time and space and pressure um, and, and learning how to support the puck in a different way if the defending forward's off the wall, if the defending forward is on the wall, obviously those those two spaces in the middle um, and the wall open up. So for me, we try to give our guys triggers and, and um, a little structure at the beginning. But I think where I would really like to go, and I've started to kind of do this with my 2008 team, is is creating situations where the, you know, actually Kyle called them rondos, where um, you kind of let the kids be the teachers of puck support in space. And and that's something that's very interesting to me, um, where we take the the triggers away from them and actually allow them to be the drivers of like, hey, listen, like I see this hole. And, and knowing as a coach that you have to give them some rope and some leash to um, have the confidence to make those plays. Like, yeah, you're probably going to give up a couple odd man rushes here and there, right, until like you get your – your structure down but at the end of the day I think it's important to let the kids be the drivers of of seeing the offensive zone having the confidence to jump into space yeah I like that and Robbie I'll go to you next I mean that's the age all age old debate question like structure versus freedom (laughs) and there's certainly benefits and there's certainly you know um what's the other word benefits benefits are advantages non-advantages non-benefits let's go with (laughs) to uh to both and in different things and you know for you and your team Robbie um how would you go about kind of like what Wardo's talking about with giving them some freedom or giving them some structure as it relates specifically to the offensive zone sure so I think like like and we talked about this a lot in the first podcast that I was on TOEF where we were talking about entries I think the underlying principles uh, remain the same no matter what zone you're in. So in the offensive zone, if you can't win a race or you can't protect the puck, none of this works. And any structure you want to implement with your team will not work without underlying principles. So I think that's always our baseline. With us, we talk about our identity a lot, and all of us do that across our teams here. I think in terms of uh, looking at specific triggers or structure with an offensive zone play, obviously we all work together. So like Ryan was talk, talking about, we call uh, with with our team when the forwards climb and hit the hash marks, for example, that's the decision line. So once you hit the hash marks, um, that forward knows he can no longer go low to high. He can cut back. He can throw the puck auto low behind the net or he can continue climbing, and then again, the D will read off that, whether it's a D down situation, um, if he happens to be climbing off the wall towards mill ice, or if he's climbing alongside the wall, then it's our D drive scenario. Based off that, then from there, we have other triggers with both our top weak side D, uh, with our F3, with a guy always being in front of the net. But I really think that like, no matter what you do structure-wise, the way the game's going now, the days of D just being stagnant in their place on the blue line is over. Um, so you watch NHL teams now, and different teams are doing a lot of different advanced stuff up there, but whether it's high rolls or, or D triggers, like you're working as a five-man unit. And I think that when we talk about structure, again, it's, it's that fine line that, that Wardo was just alluding to where you don't want to take away the opportunity um, of the players using creativity down low and a quick bang-bang play in tight, 
but I think it's important that you do define triggers within offensive zone principles to create predictability for the players and to be able to read off each other. It's really, again, early on, especially with, with youth hockey players and midget players, like it's not always pretty early on, but as you see it develop, um, what starts is kind of stagnant structure and when this four gets to this spot you activate from here and you remain here becomes very fluid when they start reading off each other from the predictability you've laid down structure um in terms of like working on hockey sense where plays aren't as scripted or you gotta make a quick decision we like to do a lot of different small area games um to kind of emulate uh different feels within that I like it. And so all three of you guys have talked about D as it relates to the ozone and how important they are um, just in, in movement and, and things like that. And the more I watch the game, it, the more I just start to feel like the week's ID is almost like the most important person inside the zone um, it, for a couple different reasons. I mean, one, the way that teams defend again with the pressure, a lot of times you want to change sides, whether that's behind the net, low to high over to the other D. So that, that guy has to be ready to attack or protect a puck or whatever it may be once, once he gets it. And also you're seeing a lot of times, you know, the way that teams are, are defending where all five of the defending players are on one side of the freaking zone, yeah. you know, so that person's over the other side and you're seeing a lot of D getting a lot of even like rebound goals on the weak side from, you know, shots from, the strong side that get kicked out and then they're right there they're no longer just at the blue line they're they're up and they're keeping plays alive and and there for rebounds like I said so Carl with you uh, as it relates specifically to the the weak side defenseman um, what are some what are some things that that person can do to to help your team have success in the offensive zone um, just in the way that you like to play in the ozone well um, starting from um, the pressure that you mentioned and, and how teams play, I think um, the development of the weak side D is obviously because that side is taken away. Um, so for a defenseman, we always talk about, I might jump ahead here a little bit, but like we There's talk about with that. Yeah. We talk a lot about like being rather being late than early, obviously. Um, but um what do you mean by that for the, for the listeners uh in terms of pressure being on one side like if if you get the puck let's say uh too high you then are never going to be able to unless you really understand how to solve it technically um within your skill skill set um you're never really going to be able to to control the play on an entry let's say so if you're late rather than early, now you have control of play and you can solve a situation. To me, you can solve the situation a lot easier. Um, if you're ahead um, on, a, like, let's say, a weak side play, um, then it's going to be... You're probably getting the puck in your skates or something like that. Skates <laughs> or you turn it over or you dump it in, which is... Um, in reality, not what you want, right? You want to control your exits and you want to control your entry. So um, the weak side D is very important in terms of relieving pressure. Um, and then you can talk about all the significant scenarios and what they should do in the decision-making part. But um, 
we necessarily don't tell our D in terms of offensive structure to activate on the on the weak side, but in terms of letting guys being more sort of free flowing, I think at the end of the day it doesn't really matter. Um, but it's all about relieving pressure and reading the the play. Um, but the weak side uh, for me is probably the hardest part to teach. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if that answered your question yeah. or not. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, the other thing I was interested in too is you talked in your first answer a lot about having the D carry the puck down towards the net and having yeah. the puck down there. What in your um, what are some necessary skills that you think the D need to be able to accomplish that? And what kind of situations do you see the D getting the puck and carrying it down, you know, a little bit lower towards the net? Well, if you get it on the weak side, you got to be extremely efficient in skating um, up the ice, nose to nose or straight ahead at a guy and, and sort of um, get all the defenders over on one side so you then open it up to another side. Um, and then from there, um, I would like to say teach, just teach the, um, the fundamentals of understanding that like, let's say a forward is climbing now, even though we don't take a shot, take a shot or, um, or, you know, get it to, let's say the weak side or pass it up or do an interchange or scissor or whatever you want to call it. Um, that now you are the low forward or the low D or the, the player jumping down. Um, so from there, you know, teaching D some of the, more traditional sort of forward skills and then also teaching some of the forwards situation that more traditional defenseman would end up in. Yeah, it uh, makes a lot of sense. Kind of goes back to the positionless hockey yeah, stuff. Yeah, so like in terms of that, let's say a player like they or Ras always laugh, laughs at me about Rasmus Dahlin uh, and in terms of like being able to get a puck, let's say, and completely just walk down all the way to the net and, and not become the guy that gets walks down all the way around the net or all the way around and then the circle goes around, right? So that's sort of... <laughs> no, so that's sort of the goal. And then, you know, there's a lot of work in between all those parts. But yeah, um, I don't know if that answered your question either, but... <laughs> no, it's definitely like, listen, I think the weak side D for, for us and, and Carl and I talk a lot about this <clears throat> is, you know, especially when teams are, are overloading one side when they're trying to break out five on three, I think that the weak side D serves a unbelievable function as far as switching sides and being available to keep pucks alive, right? So, um, you know, you're going to want to, if you're going to, obviously we call it skating out of the mud or getting out of the muck, um, you know, to establish, like Robbie said, any offensive zone time and and really rag the puck in the offensive zone um you need to be able to cut back protect the puck switch sides right and that's where you know i remember actually anthony noreen um doing a a presentation to um our coaching staff with our development camp when we were both in toronto and um it was all about dot lane one-timers right so 
and you see it now even sometimes, you know, at, at the higher levels where you switch sides and that D activates down the dot lane and, and hammers a puck, right? And, um, you know, b- having the flexibility to keep pucks alive on the weak side for, for 50-50 races, and we talk about that as part of our identity, um, as, as well as, as, you know, jumping in as a weak side defenseman in the offense or, you know, simply simply being available for a switch side cycle or high cycle or something like that. So um, I agree with Carl that the weak side is probably the hardest reads to teach, um, but but the function of the weak side defenseman with the way people um, overload the defensive zone like is is super important just to just to be able to maintain offensive zone possession. And and just to to Ryan's point there, right? Like I think the most important function of the weak side D, if we're talking specifically in offensive zone play. Um, is that guy is controlling your ability to to stay on offense, right? So if, if they're trying to break out from the strong side, like if your weak side D at the higher levels is not surfing tight and correctly um, with the other team's wingers slashing across, like they're going to exit easily. Um, you know, if the other team f- from the strong side rims it to that weak side D's side, on an on an exit attempt like if they can't read how to come down the wall and keep that puck and then again it all works together in the forward covering for him like you're not going to maintain offensive zone possession time and i think that weak side d serves a purpose um for being able to to maintain play when stuff breaks down and the other team gets the puck and you're in the offensive zone like holds one of the most uh, important roles to make sure that we can maintain pucks in the offensive zone and, and work our forwards off and, and and get get fresh players out and stay in their zone because that's the goal of hockey, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's funny how like you know we're talking about ozone principles here today, but it is interesting. You know, I, I coached at Cornell for five years where we were very defensively sound. It was something that was really important to us. And it's amazing how some, some of these ozone principles directly relate to being able to play well defensively. You talk about surfing up as the weak side defenseman up on the winger. And the other one is F3. You know, the F3 being high to be able to allow the D to be a little bit more um, aggressive coming down the walls. But also that F3 finding soft areas in the middle of the ice can be very beneficial to creating offense as well. You know, so Ward, I'll go back to you on this one. Like, how do you like to teach that F3? And we've had conversations just even this week because it's something I'm working on with my team right now. Um, how do you how do you teach that F3? What are some principles that are important for F3, both from a defensive and an offensive standpoint? Yeah, I think, especially with the way people defend TOF, like the F3 should be outside of the scrum. You know what I mean? Like the F3 is your anchor to, to be able to angle and wedge and, and make sure you're trying to turn the puck over to go right back on offense. Um, but offensively, I think... I think the F3, much like the bumper on the power play, has to work extremely hard to find open ice, right? And and I know uh, we talk a lot <clears throat> about um, having, you know, sprinting, sprinting the offensive zone for support and having two feet in the circle on the strong side, right? So, you know, a lot of times in youth hockey, what you see is, you know, youth hockey players go behind the net and try to throw a puck blindly into the the middle of the ice and to me all that does is feed transition for the other team right so so what we really try to get our guys to do is to to support 
have F3 support sprinting, um, sprinting in the offensive zone between the dots where um, you you have two feet in the circle on the strong side and you're available between coverage uh, to get a quick shot off. Now, some of the other things like, you know, as <clears throat> as we talk about ozone principles and activating D and climbing high, um, F3 also has the ability to filter himself to the net or scissor for support in the offensive zone um, for those little offensive zone hook passes and slip passes. Um, but really, it's, it's again, a read of, of positionless hockey attacking five guys of where they need to go to support next, right? So, so if a guy's climbing high, we teach our player that's climbing high, which is our, our hunter or our worker, um, to, to now he's the F3, right? So it's, it's much like anything else where I, I guess the whole offensive zone principal thing is to force switches and, and confuse coverage yep. on, on the defensive side of it. So, um, you know, our, your F3 has to be able to be a soft area shot option. Um, I've heard that called the honey hole before. Um, he has to be able to, to scissor and, um, and be supportive on a, on a cycle that might not make it back to the back of the net. Um, but he also has to be able to, to filter down to the net front. And we talk about penetrating and getting inside and, and going to the tough areas. There's no, like, if you look at, I mean, Topher, you tweeted out a graphic of Austin Matthews' goals in the last four years. 85% of his goals were right around the net front. So you're never going to, you're never going to ever get away from scoring goals off rebounds or quick off the pass shots or um, in front of the net, right? So you have to make sure that, while all of your activity is going on in the offensive zone, that you still have a net front presence, which ends up being a low release, which ends up being a rebound threat. Um, and just making sure that the forwards understand that as they're climbing, as the D are getting active, there's a position to be filled um, higher in the offensive zone, right? So yeah. I think, obviously, to win transition from defense to offense, um, having that player understand the responsibilities of, of the defensive side of the puck, much like you talked about at Cornell, um, but also putting ourselves in the best position to, to own the middle of the ice and penetrate the middle of the ice to have um, those bang-bang bang, bang chances. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, getting to the inside and those rebound chances. You know, we, we found uh, a lot of times just, you know, watching goals being scored and everything, everybody likes to talk about net presence and traffic. I shouldn't say a lot of times, but certainly an enough amount of times where it's something to be talked about. But, you know, the rebound isn't necessarily being scored by the guy that's standing right on top of the crease. 100%. The rebound is scored by either the two guys on kind of like the flanks that are coming down or that F3 in the middle where it's kind of like a rebound that goes out to the hash marks or not necessarily standing there right in front of the crease. And so, yeah, but I, I agree like the, the F3 has to be really smart. Um, and, and the thing you said too, that I'm not pushing back on you, but you, you mentioned like, he's got to work hard to get the spots, which I totally agree. But also I think people that are really smart in those areas, they know how to kind of get quiet yep. and kind of lose themselves in the coverage. So it's almost like the opposite <laughs> yeah. of working hard, you know, where they can kind of find those little spots. And, um, I'm sure we can all think of like players that we've coached or whatever like Sam Annis was unbelievable at it at Quinnipiac he's one that just sticks out uh to me he was seemingly always finding spots in that area and it was just like he wasn't lazy he was just like just lurking in the weeds you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a great point Tolf 100% yeah I just think like when we're talking about F3 like all too often like you see or you talk to different coaches of, of really young teams or 
or even as young as like like nine-year-olds, right? What do we always hear when you talk about F3? Like it's purely about when turnovers happen to make sure you have a high guy back and you can track and all that is super important. Um, but the actual teaching and working on the offensive principles of your F3, I think, is is huge. And I know the guys here do it a lot in Cali. We work with our guys in the morning. Um, like this year has been the most offense that we've created out of soft areas of teams I've coached. And a big part of that has been because they can work on it in skills and they can work on it in different set controlled environments in practice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I, to me, um, and the uh, 09 team this year, um, we've talked a lot about reloading on top of the puck, you know, like in terms of, of teaching younger players um, these principles, um, I think what's now happened with, with our team and how they are starting to develop and reading the play is that that reload forward or, or the furthest for forward away from the puck when the puck changes side, let's say, in the offensive zone, and he's coming on top, um, and let's say our forward in the other corner is getting the puck first and, and goes low to high or, or starts climbing, now we are actually starting to figure out how to use that F3 in transition in the offensive zone. Um, and we had this one unbelievable play uh, last weekend at the Silver Six tournament where we literally looked like a miniature NHL team where we're bumping pucks into the middle and actually <laughs> activating that weak side D coming down on the other side and the other team. We have two guys net front all alone. Unfortunately, uh uh, we had a bad bounce in front of the net, but like it, it was it was really cool to see how they figure that out. Like, yeah, did we talk about that? And is that an overload of sort of knowledge and information in my mind at, at twelve years old for sure? But uh, in talk in in terms of interchangeable parts and figuring out, um, I think that now they see how important it is to have that that F three. Uh, be very solid defensively and, and coming up top to them be when you do win the puck being available to create offense from there so uh, it was really fun to see actually um, and then you you kind of get happy about the fact that they're it's not really something that you have to say it's just something that they see which which is I guess development yeah, that's so, sweet yeah I, that's we so should real. we should actually throw that clip because I did watch that clip with Carl and it looked like an NHL team. Like we'll they, throw it up on uh, we have social to throw media. It up on social yeah. Because, I mean, to see our 9 team bumping the puck, like, into the middle to the weak side D, I mean, it was, like, it was awesome to see. And yeah. the fact that they're 12 years old and they're recognizing, like, that space and time and, like, being available in the support, I mean, that was awesome. Yeah. So let's get that That's up on sweet. social, sweet. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll try. Conquer hockey. Yeah. With a K. Yeah. Conquer with a K. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, all right, so Wardle, I, I have a question for you because you worked in Toronto. How many years ago was it that you worked in Toronto? Oh, jeez, you're putting me. Uh, math is in my 
strong. So I don't know. Let's few, call it five. Yeah, let's call it five, six, five, six years, years ago. 2016, 2016. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, Toronto being, I would say, at the forefront, uh, at least for the most part, in the analytics movement in the NHL. Was that something that was, were you guys using that when you were there? Yeah, I mean. Ish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, like, we had an unbelievable group of people. Like, obviously, Doobie is, like, Kyle's unreal at, like, at building his teams um, and the people he surrounds himself with. But our analytics team was awesome. And, and really, it's less about, I mean, you, like, you know, all of the analytics we used. And it was more like, you know, we did a lot of pre-scouting analytics on, like, what Ds to attack and things like that. And But, but yeah, it's something that we focused on shot generation and, and you know, quality of shot generation and things like that. Um, you know, so we definitely used it. Yeah, so one of the stats that I, I'm seeing a lot more of, and, and I think for, for good reason, is inner slot passes completed. You know, that's, uh, that's um, you know, a stat that from a team standpoint, you, you know, if your team is completing a lot more offensive zone slot passes, that's good, obviously, the Royal Road and things like that as well. Um, and then for individuals, the, the players who are able to be in those positions, both to receive and to, to give those passes, you know, those are those are really good things to, to have. You know, what what maybe you can talk about that, um, but maybe there's some other analytics that you think of that you know, pertains to what we're talking about in the ozone. Are there any that stick out to you? Yeah. I mean, I think like, obviously we always talk about the house, right? Like, let's just say that for all like youth hockey coaches and our listeners, like we always talk about the house and getting to the inside. And obviously inner slot passes are getting the puck to the most dangerous area on the ice. Right. So it's when you talk about analytics and things like that, like really analytics break down what everyone kind of knows, but like, it, it quantifies it, right? So so you want to get the puck to the most dangerous area of the ice, and that's an inner slot pass, right? And it, there's something to be said for guys that um, get to those areas, and there's something to be said for guys that complete those passes. Um, so I think that's pretty pretty general. I think I think if you're if you're picking out a couple analytics that you're looking at um, for for your teams or things that you want to track or do a little project on, to me the most important number one thing is puck recoveries, okay? So that's something that we tracked a ton of. Puck recoveries in the offensive zone. And, and and that goes back to your identity, your 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 key foundational offensive zone principles is is are 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 we winning loose pucks, right? Because if you're winning loose pucks, you're going to maintain possession. Um, and all five guys on the ice can win loose pucks. Um, so to me, offensive zone puck recoveries off shots, um, off blocks, um, are, are hugely important. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's funny when you talk about like power play, offensive zone principles, one of the biggest indicators of future success is unblocked shot attempts, right? Our unblocked shot attempts. So, so if you're getting unblocked shot attempts to the net, that is one of the biggest future indicators of success. Right, success is in scoring goals. as in scoring goals. Yeah. Right, the hardest thing to do in in hockey is to score goals. So you want to make sure that you're maximizing your generation of unblocked shot attempts, and and that you can break down into a whole plethora plethora of skill development. Right, like how do the D change the angle? What is the deception off of a puck recovery where you can now get an inner slot pass because you've beat coverage and forced the switch? Um, you know, and I think there's, you know, we were talking, um, we were talking, I probably, 
yesterday, I think, with Rass. One of the most important statistics to me um, to look at how goals are scored is you look at, like, rebounds, right? Like, obviously, a ton of goals are scored off rebounds. Um, and the goalies are so good, even in youth hockey, now that you have to do that. And the other one is shooting off of the pass, like, right away. And I think that's something that I know organizationally here, that's something that I want to get our guys so much better at is shooting off the pass because every youth hockey player, and I see it on my U13 team, I mean, like, they want to handle the puck, get it perfectly loaded, load the puck, and then now you're taking a, a second and a half to shoot it where if you can shoot off the pass right away, even when the puck goes low to high, right? Like, if, if you're spreading the zone and the puck goes low to high from forward to the D, the longer that D takes to get the shot to the net, the more structure is going to be in front of you, right? So I think those little metrics, you know, when we talk about puck recoveries, the inner slot passes, shooting off the pass, um, those things are are hugely, hugely important. And, and, you know, say what you want about analytics and things like that. The biggest, the biggest analytic is always going to be shot attempts, right? The more shot attempts you're getting, you look at the Carolina Hurricanes, I'm willing to bet that they are for sure in the top three of the NHL in shot attempts. I mean, those guys are a machine. Should we look it up? I mean, we Somebody, can. You want to look it up while... I don't know. Your computer out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, but we'll, we'll, we'll confirm that on, on social. Maybe we'll put a little Carolina hurricane. But when, you, when I watch Carolina on Instat and, and go through and, and like a lot of the offensive zone principles that I've showed my team this year come from the Her- Carolina Hurricanes just because they're so relentless. But you see every... They, they have threats all over the ice to attack the net. And I think... Shot shot attempt generation, and then furthermore, unblocked shot attempt generation is, is massive. Yeah, so that leads into a really good debate because, you know, I actually looked at this uh, a few years back. I looked at, like, you know, the teams that had the most shot attempts and then the, hum- the amount of goals that they scored, and then the teams that had, you know, the most shots against them and the amount of goals that were scored against them. It was all, I, felt, I felt like it was all over the yeah. place. Um, like, you know, team that's top or bottom five in the league in scoring goals is like top 10 in shots in some ways, like in some junctures. So I love like the debate of, you know, shot generation from anywhere, like shot volume versus like the quality of shot, you know, maybe I'll go to you, Robbie. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? So we, cause I agree with like, you're totally right. Like shot generation is so important and the more you can get, obviously yeah. the, the better, but then there's the quality of the shot debate too. And, uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Like I've, I've talked to some people, they'd be like, I hope my team gets 16 shots on goal and all 16 are like grade a quality, you know, red meat chances. And right. then there's other people that'd be like, I want 40 shots in a game and we'll get some from, we'll get quality chances from doing that. So where, where, where do you kind of fall on that line? Right. So a couple of years ago, Doug and I, you know, we're coaching together and Doug, has he been on this podcast yet? Has not yet. Next no. week. Next okay. week. There we go. Okay. We got to get him. So, so <laughs> development. Yeah. Guy who, who we've all worked with various programs now. And Joe Corvo. Yeah. Oh, and Joe Corvo. So at first we we're like we, we'd always track, right? Like shots for, shots against. You'd have your little traditional goalie heat map. And and what we found is there'd be games, you know, you'd outshoot a team 35-17 and you'd lose 2-1. And, and you're kind of like, what's going on here? Um, we actually got access like the year I'm, I'm thinking of. You know, we have Instat now. Then we used Iceberg. We started basing everything um, 
in our post-game analysis, not off shots, but off expected goals, right? So it's like weighted the probability of scoring from, from where you shoot from in the analytics software tracks all that. In 38 games that we tracked that year, when we had more expected goals for based off, again, um, not just shot quantity, um, but quality of shot and, and location of shot. And did you move the puck ac- across the, you know, I think Steve Valakan, those guys the called Royal the Road. Royal Road, right? And and when you do that, then like platform would pick it up and, and it would come back with a higher expected goal for. When we had more expected goals for than expected goals against um, or vice versa, the result was the same as the expected goals. And I think it was like 36 of 38 of the games we tried. Oh, really? Right. So that, and again, like in not all those games where we had a much greater expected goals for than expected goals against, did we necessarily dominate the other team in shots, but maybe in quality four. And certainly there are a couple of the games I remember where we outshot a team by 12 or 13 shots and we lost in the lazy traditional way of thinking is like, we dominate goalies got to make a save for us and there were times where eyes would lie to us on the bench you go back you look at the actual where the shots came from what the analytic platform would would come back with and there were games where we outshot teams by over 10 shots where we got beat on expected goals and by true goals in the game um so i think it's definitely a blend of both and obviously shot volume is important but but getting pucks and getting goalies moving and shooting from the proper areas is probably even more important than than sh- shot volume. Yeah, it's just two work together. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So when I was at Cornell, like you know, we used to we used to grind teams down low. Like we'd always that was our identity. You know, we were playing below the dots. Uh, we had big teams aside from me, and like we had, but we didn't get a ton of shots because of that. You know, we were just grinding and and you know getting quality looks when we wanted to and like Shafe always hated when we played at teams where they actually counted the shots on goal on the scoreboard because we could be like dominating a game and probably out chancing the other team but on the scoreboard it's like the shots are like 30 or, or let's say it's in the you know in between intermission or something it'd be like yeah uh, I don't know 12 to 7 against us because we're playing against a team that shoots from everywhere. So, like, the guys come out after the first period and they see it up on the scoreboard. They're like, man, we're, we're getting outplayed. We're getting outshot. And But in reality, we're actually dominating the game, you know? It's like such a mind, you know what? Pretzel. <laughs> Pretzel, there oh, you go. Oh, wow. Look at you coming through. PG comments. <laughs> first for everything. <laughs> yeah, I think, and this is where, like, Carl's really good at his job. Um, you guys tell me that we should... Uh, work on certain shots and skills and I go, okay, let's put it up here <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> let's do this. And you guys are like, well, yeah, maybe not. And, and then we come back and it worked and you guys are like, okay, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. And that's where car, I think, I think it all, I think the stories go together, right? Like I think, I think you start with, okay, like we want to dominate the game, right? How do we do that? Like shot volume. And then you build like Early, early in the year, like you want to play in the offensive zone, and then you kind of fine tune. I think that's where Carl does a great job with our players um, in building the content and curriculum of what we do. With okay, yeah, we're, we're we understand the principles. We're getting shots now. Let's upgrade our sc- our scoring chances, right? So, um, and adding layers to what we call the proverbial onion uh, with all of our players and giving them different tools to to have success. And I think that's where 
that's where if you like Robbie said, the expected goals one's excellent. Like if if you're out expected, if you if your expected goals are better than your opponents, odds are you're. Would you say it was thirty six out of thirty eight games? Yeah, it was spot that on? it went the same way as the analytics expected goals showed it to go, whether we won or lost. Yeah, yeah and I think that's like huge. And then you know you kind of get into like okay, when you look at your expected goals and you dial it down on video, that's where like like. Carl does such a great job with like dissecting like okay how do we get the puck here more you know what I mean like Swede like how you how you build your skill development plans and everything yeah um it's actually all in my head but yeah um <laughs> no <an> artist <laughs> no it's yeah, it's actually it's actually one thing like where where you know um and I thought a lot about this like as I started m- more so going into the the skill um area and being really interested in terms of that uh, after I quit playing and all that um, became a lot more interested in like okay like what do I need to do to to be able to like execute certain plays or, or stuff like that so in rather than just you know creating regular whatever sort of generic skill plans of whatever it might be, actually think about like, all right, how does this actually work and where are we actually going to execute the place that we're trying to accomplish and, and then sort of set the, the sort of the structure up from that. And, and I think working with these, these, uh, these guys that I've been working with um, now for a while, I think that uh, it's a good compliment to... I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say like speed up the process, but I guess a better word is to just making it all come together as a package, if that makes sense. And I think like the way here, and again, we're lucky to have it because we have a full-time skills staff and we have all our full-time coaches and we all sit and work together. Even when we're not podcasting, we're together all day, most of the days. I think it's like the ability to be together and have feedback loops uh, based on the weekend. So oftentimes, you know, Topher will be going through his film on Monday or I'll be going through my film and, and we identify trends while you can grab Carl um, and Doug and Corbs, uh, who are skill staff and kind of look at different clips to adjust to. And then they can formulate their plans with our guys who do skills with them every day um, to teach technical skills within uh, different situations that might arise in offensive zone play. And then same thing when we go back to like the very start where we were talking about um, structure versus, versus letting players make reads. Again, I think the two work together within structure. There's a lot more options and predictability. But then within that, then, then the whole development loop goes back through to skills. Okay, now this player's in the right spot and this strong side D did shoot through. They did receive that beautiful little slip from the forward, but now they're having trouble how to catch and release and stride off their offside or whatever it may be. Are um, you talking about space gaps now, Robbie? Pardon? Are you talking about space gaps now? Yeah, you want to talk about space gaps? No, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. I didn't know how... <laughs> well, we're already here. Skills, What's man? space gaps? No, it's nothing. It's, <laughs> it's nothing. 
Um, no, I think both of you guys bring up really interesting points. And, you know, a lot of the work of what you do, Carl, is, is so beneficial in the way that you think about the game because there are certain scenarios within well, we're talking about the offensive zone right now, so let's just stay there. There are certain scenarios that players are going to be in in the offensive zone, and then you love to teach how people can be successful in those scenarios by using their skills to, to be able to make a play or make a read or whatever it is. So I think it would be beneficial for, like, I feel like I've said beneficial 13 times on this episode. Either way, whatever. I don't. I don't. I can't remember the. I've word. said it about as many times as Wardle's name dropped somebody. I I dropped. <laughs> the trying same to give credit where it's due, man. <laughs> I dropped the same word. I think I counted twelve times on my first appearance. Which word was that I again? I can't even remember. Yeah, I remember you were rattled was, afterwards. Times. I think it was um. No, it, wasn't um. <laughs> it was actually a b- a big word. Mine is well definitely sort of, kind of. Sort of, kind of. Yeah. Sort of, kind of. Yeah. I like it. Um, but getting back to it, so. I think it would be really good for the the coaches that are listening to to provide maybe like an example um, that you're talking about. Like, what's a scenario in the offensive zone where you like to teach a certain skill that would allow a player to be successful in that scenario? So let's start with uh, the D. What what might be an example of that? Okay, so let's say um, let's take this scenario for example. Let's say we go D to D really fast and the forward that um, is supposed to uh, defend you on the, on the top, uh, you can walk by him. Something that I like to teach is if you are going to have a chance to score after you get by that guy, you have to be above the low dot to be able to generate any sort of uh, shot attempt. Um, if you're outside that dot, it's going to be obviously be a very hard angle to score from. Um, probably the only thing that you have is throwing it on net or first off, possess it, look for a pass, then throw it on net. Maybe the only with goalies being so good, good right now is that small little shoulder opening right above it because they're good at seeing the post. Uh, most of them are, um, and then, um, you know, delaying the game or, or, or getting it back up high or, or something like that. Um, so one of the big things for me is to, after, let's say, you, you're walking down, is to get inside the dot lane or inside the low dot to be able to get into the house or whatever you want to call it. So that's one of the things that I'd like to teach um, and not just stay on the outside, like, Okay, you turn the puck over, but um, you could have turned the puck over <laughs> down low as well. Like, it doesn't matter where you turn the puck over. You know what I mean? Sometimes it really doesn't. So, um, you turn it over, you turn it over. So, um, that's one thing for me is, like, really trying to get to the inside for a defenseman. Um, another scenario would be, let's say, if... Um, we're shooting uh, from the blue line, and then the other D is, is jumping down to, to really be, you know, taking that rebound. Um, are you aware of who's in front of you, or, or are you aware of when or how to jump down in that scenario? Um, so it's just a lot of things that you can teach, teach structurally or, or thought-wise, mentality-wise, uh, that I think 
would make your decor a couple more percentages more offensive, I guess. But like, yeah, just try to get to the inside. I, I think just to add to that, one of the, the most important words Carl just said is aware, right? And I think what, you know, not to fluff the big Swede here, but like I think what Carl does so well with our players is teaching them the awareness of like a, of a, before you get the puck, understanding where your time and space is, right? Yeah. And we talk about awareness so much, whether you're a forward or a D, to being able to be aware, and that's a men- mentality, right? And I think I think what Carl does, putting them in game situations and things like that, and understanding what the awareness is of every single situation, like pre pre getting the puck, I think is is super important. Yeah, pre check, pre scan, yeah, all that good sh- stuff. stuff shoulder right? check, pre fake, pre shoulder shoulder, pre head fake, whatever it might be. Like if you can buy a little time, everyone is good with a little time. Yeah. Even Robbie's good with a little time. Ooh. You know? Ooh. I've seen your men's league performances. They're pretty good, actually. And you've been there one of <laughs> two games. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that. All right. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to the ozone, and, and this is something I think it's a fundamental. You know, Robbie, you spoke about the fundamentals at the beginning, um, and that's puck protection. I feel like puck protection out of any other thing, this is just my opinion, it's not a right or wrong, but I feel like puck protection is one of the most important skills that you can have all over the ice, but specifically in, in the offensive zone as well. You talk about extending possession time. Uh, you're talking about being able to get on the inside, figuring out ways to manipulate the D so you can find spaces to do that. And so, you know, Carl, I'll go back to you. you I've seen you do a lot of puck protection type stuff with, uh, with the guys when you're doing your skills. What do you think is important as it relates to teaching puck posi- puck protection and, um, you know, what are some fundamentals that you like to talk about with the players when, uh, when you're teaching it? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what I, what I think it all comes down to is being able to move your feet in a wide base, uh, which is very hard. Um, to be able to protect the puck well, um, obviously, you're, you're getting pressure, you're getting pushed, you're getting shoved you're getting poked you're getting whatever you know stick on puck uh slashed um so for me it's it's you know a lot of it's like head shoulders knees and toes yeah right so it's as it's stupid as that might might sound um it's um all the components together got to be working starting with your feet um and your toes and and then moving up your body and try and connect all the pieces together uh it's not very easy uh but to me that wide base being able to get pushed but still keep the speed head to the inside being deceptive with your eyes um hands away from your body being able to use your edges within those patterns i think the most important thing again um, wide base, being able to move your feet at the same time. Um, and I can show you later how that looks if you want. But uh, The head, shoulders, knees, and toes? Y- yeah. To it too. Yeah, no. It is amazing how many players want to play high. You know, like they're, they're not bending their knees 
it, it's incredible. I don't know if it's just an automatic thing that just in sports in general. I mean, most sports, I think you want to play low, right? That knees bent, athletic position, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys see that too? I, I feel like I'm always teaching play lower <laughs> knees, bend your knees. Yeah. Like it's just, it's such a huge fundamental to it. So like I, I, from the last few years, I think like one of the biggest indicators of a kid's success when they move from one of our midget teams up to the USHL or major junior in Canada, um, and then onwards in their careers through college or pro or whatever it might be, like, is the ability to protect the puck and the ability, like Carl said, um, to be in a wide base and still move with the puck. Like, that's not easy. And then to build on that even more, okay, now a kid can move the puck. They have the puck on the correct side of their body away from pressure. They're using their knee to protect. Okay, but now can you still execute a pass from that position or think on the fly and, and still navigate within your different reads in OZP? And, like, I think that's such an important thing, Toph, is the ability to be below and protect pucks, but then also the ability to make plays within that. Huge. And again, when we talk about moving up levels or, or kids moving from this level to the USHL level from midget AAA, right? Like what what is the difference in time? It might be like you have a tenth of a second less, but that tenth of a second is everything. Um, and being upright and not being able to be over the puck versus – versus being low, being able to protect and make a read within. Like, in a lot of cases, that's the difference between, you know, kids who, who don't move, you know, maybe as far past where they want to be and a kid who ends up down the road, you know, getting to the USHL and then getting even better at that and, and playing Division One college hockey. Um, and, yeah, yeah, we definitely see a big variation in that. Yeah, I mean, and then you have you have the scenarios of what what space or what ice to take to be able to like let's say like spin out of that protection and and create an an odd man situation or when or where to protect it to be able to you know use let's say an an offensive hit or or, or a sort of six inch or whatever six whatever they call it cross check or or, or hit and pin scenario where you sort of use that speed and, and, and bump off of and, and then someone else might come at you. So I call those like the second wave options. Like, And I think with puck protection, like, yeah, we could be, re it's like kind of like skill, right? Or technique, or you could stick handle the, the puck as fast as you want, but like unless you know where to use it and, and whatnot, like it's not going to be effective. It's the same thing with that, like, we could all technically look like we know how to protect the puck, but obviously it's not going to be very useful if you don't know like where to go with it or where to take it. So um, in terms of puck protections and, and all of that, there's so many things that, that comes into it that it's for me more so about making them understanding that like if we change sides and someone's right on you and you're keeping the flow up the ice climbing up like where now do you need to skate 
in order to be most effective to getting that puck on net or creating a scoring chance. And I think we do a lot of that in skills. Like I, that's probably something that I do like maybe a little bit too much of. It's almost like they're like, what are we doing today? Protecting the puck. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, um, I think it's just so much that goes into it. Like a breakout, you protect the puck and you protect the puck all over the ice, you know? It's just, it's just what it is. Yeah, you have to be able to. Yeah, pressure. <laughs> like, like you have to. That's what it is. Ice. Protect the puck, and you'll have it. And like, if you don't protect the puck, you turn it over. Like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, you gotta be willing to go get it. You yeah, have to be able to protect. That's it. That's why we do so many like three on three low games and, and and variations of of low plays and and sending it up high and you know, changing that, but then getting it back low, auto low, or skating out of the pressure, all that stuff. But you got to know what you, what you want to do with it. Um, or before you get it, like Ryan says, you gotta, you gotta know what's, what your options are. And that's the biggest thing. Toph, when you were at Cornell, how many players, if any, did you recruit who, when watching them in their respective junior or prep leagues, you thought were like significantly, Below average at their current level at protecting the puck or escapability or winning battles. I mean, probably very few. I mean, it wasn't it's something that I was completely zoned in on. You know, you're looking at yeah. a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, like you want to recruit players that have the puck a lot. You know, they they're touching the puck all over the ice, and and there's different components to that. There's all right, they're smart enough to get to to have the awareness to know where to be to get the puck in in puck support. And then you have to be able to maintain and and protect pucks. So it kind of goes like I never thought about it in that sense. Sure. Um, But you always notice the players who have the puck more than the other ones. And puck protection is a big part of that. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You know, it's about making the play after protecting the puck. Like that's what really stands out. So getting the spots to get it, being able to protect it, and then making the play right afterwards. That's that's ultimately the the players that I think that stand out. I will just say this for youth hockey coaches, and Carl breaks down all the minutia of all these things for us, and I tell him what, what I think we need to work on, and Carl... But you always make fun of me for it, though. Yeah, that's because you're an easy target. <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> Carl breaks down the minutia and how the players need to do it. I tell him what we think we need to work on. But two things for youth hockey coaches that you can come up with you know, that you, if you see on your players, number one is when people cut back, do not cross their hands. Okay. That is the number one thing for me that annoys me in these youth hockey camps. When you see how many kids cross their hands and when you come out of that cutback, you cannot shoot or pass because your hands are together. And specifically they're, if they're going to their forehand. Yeah. Specifically Correct. forehand. Yeah. Right. And like that. So is, explain that a li- just for the people that don't like. So know. like when a kid cuts back and, and everyone thinks puck protection is only cutting back. Right, like puck protection is using your body weight shifts, getting the puck out. You know, we'll touch on that. But, like, when a kid cuts back, he needs to be able to, like, just slide his elbow, slide your hands, keep the puck to the outside, use your weight and your body to protect the puck, but also come out of the cutback and be a shot option or a Ready to make a play. Right, like ready to make a play. When your hands are crossed in a cutback, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. Because it's so annoying that you will... <laughs> Everybody's underst- got their little thing. You will understand exactly. But no player can come out of a cutback, 
with his hands crossed and shoot or pass a puck. It is the most <laughs> asinine thing I've ever seen. So Ryan is talking about bringing your top hand in tight to your body yes. and then See? your bottom hand going outside your body such that your hands are crossed and you can't make a pass or a shot. What was the second thing? Wait, can you wait? Let's go back. Can you cross your hands uh, on your backhand? I don't know. No, well, yeah, maybe. No. I don't think I don't that's pop. For all the I don't podcast so. listeners, we're in here trying. No, I was being sarcastic I because so. you don't. You, I don't think you. Like, yeah. yeah, but no. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so that, I was being and the sarcastic. Second thing is <laughs> the second thing is, and I show my O8s this video all the time is exposing the puck to the middle of the ice especially when you're on the interior or when you're on the exterior right and 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 you're by the boards or you're outside the dots everyone wants to stick handle in front of their body and off their inside foot because it's comfortable for them their eyes are down on the puck and they're stick handling it's so easy to poke check and that's where like weight shifting and keeping the puck to the outside so people can't poke check you. But how many times, even on an entry where you get the puck and instead of lo- preloading it, you know, off your, your skating pattern, crossover kickouts or whatever you do, but like exposing the puck to the middle, it's so easy to poke check. So if you can get guys to, to again, make plays and, and be comfortable with shifting their weight and keeping the puck to the outside so they can't get poked, those are two huge things in youth hockey that happen all the time. It are pe- players expose the puck to the middle and they cross their hands when they're cutting back. It's so annoying to me. Couldn't tell. Oh, anyway. That second one for me is a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, too. like it's just always to the middle of the ice. Like yeah. it's like. And then they well, a lot of times they'll want to like stick handle through the kid's stick or yeah, like through their legs, and it's just like no. it's like wagging. Uh, like, I love wagging hockey, but like everything is like Jesus. sick, like triangle slips and stuff like that. It's like guys, like come on, <laughs> not everyone. What do you mean? No, I'm just saying, like, everyone thinks they're going to be st- on stick handling. Oh, you got you, uh, it's all about Instagram. It's yeah, it's all about the gram. You gotta, you gotta know what's important. Right. Yeah. Did you guys see that Devontae Adams thing that he said? I did. You tweeted it, right? Yeah, I tweeted it. It was awesome. He was like, I don't, I run routes. I don't do drills to get on Instagram. It yeah. Was, it was awesome. It's Hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We're over an hour here, so uh, that was a good one today. Yeah, a lot oh, of OZP. I'm sweating. <laughs> that little greasy hair standing up has been shaking when you're twitching talking about yeah, crossing. Robbie, you have a snot hanging still out shaking. <laughs> does he? Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, he you does. sure? No, hundred percent. Now he's gonna have to check. It's all right. We're good. You're good. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, before we end it off here, we have some people to thank like we do every podcast, and, and these are the people that support us, and uh, we really, really appreciate that support. We wouldn't be here without them, and the first people we want to thank is Gel Sticks, and so, uh, Robbie, Gel Sticks, what can you tell me about them? 
I mean, they're a great training aid. Um, we've had players use them in the past. We've had them for our entire program. Um, I think that the biggest advocate of gel sticks um, is is Max Scott snapping pucks around. With My his. little brother uses a gel stick during yep. practice. That yep. is correct. And he yep. has great, great forearms, and his passing is awesome. <laughs> um, but, yeah, gel sticks, if you haven't – if you haven't had one before, got to demo one. Um, I'd, I'd strongly suggest, and I think it's really useful, especially in like a skills context for for players to use. So, great product. There we go. G E L S T X dot com. So, uh, use the coupon code Think Tank one word, and you'll get a discount on your weighted training sticks. So, gel sticks is an awesome, awesome, awesome training aid if you want to get your shot better. And uh, Carl. Rookie on the podcast, Train Heroic. What can oh, yeah. you tell me about Train Heroic, <laughs> oh, yeah. Carl? Best ad read ever. <laughs> Here we go. Train Heroic is a uh, great tool for uh, teams that um, need a um, distant personal trainer. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, to supply them with uh, tools and uh, resources to complete their workouts and training. Um without um, a physical coach being there. Is there that right? Go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like it. You, does that make sense or no? Yeah, it made sense. Because I didn't know what it was until <laughs> 10 seconds ago. <laughs> so, yes, I knew that was something, but yeah. Yeah, Train Heroic is a training app you can get on your phone, and it allows you to work out with a one Jeff Lavecchio. He has a Train With Me program. He trains... Uh, he actually trains a bunch of different teams, youth teams, uh, trains Tri-City, Storm, and the USHL. He also has some college teams that he's training from afar. And, uh, yeah, he's worked his, his ass off to, to pivot here in this COVID age to be able to do this. And he's has over a 1,000 people that works with him um, on this Train Heroic app. So go to Train Heroic app on your phone. Look up Ripped Hockey, R-I-P-T Hockey, and that's uh, Vex's stuff. And they got everything from uh, if you want to be an elite athlete, uh, you just want to be a little bit healthier with what you're doing. So uh, Train Heroic, thank you. Also, IceHockeySystems.com. Wardo, what do you got for me? Hey, listen, a big part of coaching is being organized and prepared, and Ice Hockey Systems lets us do that here with the uh, Windy City Storm. I know all of us spend a lot of time uh, trying to make sure that we're prepared as coaches to give our best product um, on the ice, and, and we use things like IceHockeySystems.com to plan practice and make sure that our drills are tight and neat and uh, the kids are, are constantly getting better and being aware of what we're doing on the ice. So thank you to Ice Hockey Systems for providing us with uh, the best tools in the uh, digital age here to, to be prepared. You should have taken the Train Heroic one. I've done that before. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you to the guys at IceHockeySystems.com. We've partnered with them at the Hockey Think Tank to do an associations platform, too, where you can sign all of your coaches and your association up for it at a really, really unbelievable value. And they also have the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guide as well. And so it's not just for the coaches, but it could be for the parents as well to help the hockey directors out there make their life a little, maybe a little bit easier. So uh, thank you to all of them. Thank you to everybody that continues to listen to these podcasts. We love you guys. We love your support. If you can, shoot us some feedback, whether it's a uh, review or a rating on social or on your podcast apps, uh, whether you DM us or email us, whatever it may be. Uh, we love the back and forth with everybody. So hopefully this gives you all some things to think about as you're planning your practices and thinking about how to score goals. So appreciate it. And I hope everybody has a great week.